Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, today, we got some what we've been watching for you and an in-depth review of Black Panther with Candace Frederick. Uh, so really psyched to talk about this important film uh, with all of you. Uh, and... In the meantime, we also have another really special announcement, guys. Darkest Hour. You guys heard of this movie? It's uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. winning all kinds of awards. It's pretty um, good, yeah. It has an amazing performance by Gary Oldman. Uh, and it is going to be out on DVD uh, real soon. Uh, real mm-hmm. soon. And we have a couple of copies of Darkest Hour for you. Actually, uh, so, so Darkest Hour, the Blu-ray is going to be out on uh, February 27th, uh, and it's a great disc. Um, and we have two copies, guys, um, of Darkest Hour. And not only that, we've got two copies of Darkest Hour with this Joe Wright bundle, which includes Anna Karenina, Karina? Um, Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> Pride and, know, Prejudice and Atonement. So we've got these four Blu-rays. We're giving away two packs of these four Blu-rays, I I was so jealous. You know, we That's all got darkest, yeah. We all got darkest hours Blu-rays, but I wanted these other Blu-rays. You know, um, <laughs> so you guys are gonna get Blu-rays that we didn't even get here on the Slash Filmcast. But yeah, uh, this is to promote the release of Darkest Hour on iTunes, Voodoo, and all other video platforms, as well as Blu-ray on February twenty-seventh. All you got to do, if you want to enter for a chance to win one of these two Joe Wright bundles, uh, Joe Wright who directed Darkest Hour and a Karenina. Pride and Prejudice and Atonement? Sure. Is, you, is email slash filmcast at gmail.com in the subject line, put Darkest Hour Contest. And all you got to do is attach uh, to that email an audio file of you performing uh, one of Gary Oldman's greatest lines. Uh, Devendra, give it to us. Everyone! <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's right. Perform yeah. the Gary Oldman line, everyone. Gary Oldman, the star of The Darkest Hour. Uh, and again, email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. In the subject line, put Darkest Hour Contest. Uh, US I mean, we only... should note that he, he says that line in The Fifth Element. <laughs> um, I don't think that's <laughs> the case, Jeff. Um, but, uh, exactly, exactly wrong. But if you have not seen The Professional, go see The Professional or at least watch that clip on YouTube to understand the context of this contest. Yes. The... Only performance you need to see is the fifth element. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, but uh, yeah, U.S. only addresses, please. No P.O. boxes. So again, uh, to enter the Darkest Hour giveaway, uh, which includes the Darkest Hour on Blu-ray, Anna Karenina, Pride and Prejudice, Atonement, <laughs> Anna. That's Car- a running joke now. Karenina like, is it? Karenina. Yeah. Um, all you got to do is email slash filmcast gmail dot com. Anna Orangina. Yeah, that's right. Slash filmcast gmail dot com. In the subject, put Darkest Hour Contest, attach yourself, a copy of yourself, an audio file of yourself performing Everyone by Gary Oldman. And uh, do <laughs> that by 11.59 Pacific <laughs> on Friday, February 23rd. Uh, U.S. addresses only. No P.O. boxes, please. Um, so that is the Darkest Hour giveaway. Again, slashfilmcast.gmail.com. And uh, Darkest Hour is now available on iTunes and Voodoo and will be on Blu-ray on February 27th. Uh, so there you go. All right. Uh, now that the contest stuff is over, let's get to Slash Filmcast's What We've Been Watching This Week. I want to talk about a couple things real quick. First of all, 
Uh, I had a chance to watch this movie called The Ritual on Netflix. You guys heard of this movie? It's directed by uh, David Bruckner, a uh, mm-hmm. really yeah. talented horror director. And uh, The Ritual is, uh, just, just came out on Netflix recently. And just as interesting as the movie itself is the way in which I watch the movie. So, guys, uh, I'm still planning on writing or, or recording a video review of this product. But mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, uh, I talked to you guys about this thing called the Nebula Capsule. Oh, yes. Uh, by uh, Anchor, the uh, electronics company. And it is a Coke can-sized projector that <laughs> okay. uh, is really portable. And what's really appealing about it is, you know, I've tried a couple of other projectors, and uh, like the Rift 6 Cube projector, and uh, th- there's a lot of problems with these projectors, right? I mean, one of the inconveniences is if you want to project like Netflix or something, you need to plug in a device into the projector, right? Like... Um, you need yeah. to take an iPhone or an iPad and plug it into the projector, and that's annoying. And usually the projectors have terrible sound, so then you need to like take uh, a cable and and plug it from the projector into like a sound like a speaker or something. So it ends up being not a super portable solution. Enter the Anchor Nebula capsule. This product has finally allowed me to achieve uh, the dream of any film lover: watching Netflix while lying down in bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can. I have this kind of gorilla pod tripod that I wrap around the headboard, <laughs> okay. and I screw the Nebula capsule onto it. And then your I just Wally project- future is here. That's right, yeah. Wally. I can feel my bone density slowly f- f- fading away as I'm using this product, <laughs> and uh, and it projects Netflix onto the ceiling, and you don't even need to move your neck to watch Netflix yeah. while lying in bed, guys. So lazy, it, and yeah. uh, it, everything is included in the capsule. Like uh, you know, what I a, hated most about Netflix the fact that you had to move your neck occasionally. Yeah, moving my neck yeah. at any. Also, point. the fact you had to support the weight of your own head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. none of that. Yeah. <laughs> Those things are both incredibly inconvenient, and so the Netflix. I want capsule- Netflix, not Nexflix. Am I right, guys? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right, Jeff. That's exactly that's right. what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. So. The Nebula Capsule Projector, you can buy it on uh, on Amazon, I think, for $350. I actually got it when it was on Indiegogo, so I got it for like 280 or something like that, so I got a, a deal on it. But, it, you know, everything is on board. You have a, a basic version of Android running on it, so you can install Netflix right onto it. Uh, and the entire speaker is a 360, or the entire uh, projector is a 360 speaker. So you don't need any other supplemental speakers. Nice. Okay. Um, and it comes with a remote. Sounded okay. So, yeah. can you plug in other speakers or anything? I think you yeah, wanted? you can. You can plug in HDMI into the device. You can. I think nice. it has a speaker output as well. Um, so it really, it's a great little. Yeah. It feels like we the future. We predicted to be this was going to be a, a grand failure. That you were going to bump it and <laughs> jostle it, and it was going to not. You were going to have to move your neck more than normal. What with all of the inconvenience and. And you're saying that this has come out, despite our our negative prediction. This is this has been a an enhancement for your life. It you has have, been you, a massive you, enhancement. It actually is like, I, it actually feels like the future in some way. Like in the future, mm-hmm. like projectors will be like this and will be super convenient and cheap and like yeah. Um, you can projectors take it are already and, actually pretty cheap and uh, just not so convenient. But yeah. it's 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 a little bit of work. Yeah, but so much gain. Like but it, feel, it feels seeing. like in like five years, like yeah. they'll have completely perfected this technology and mm-hmm. you'll be like it'll be like a, you know an eighty dollar accessory that anyone can have. 
and you can just bring it anywhere. Like if you're going out camping or if you're going, you want to project something on the side of your house. Like it, it really does kind of feel like the future in some way to use this product. Right. So, anyway, but from what I saw, Dave, of your photos, it looked pretty washed out. Like the video quality looked well. How oh, is I mean, it yeah, you, you, you like, cannot no use light. it with any kind of light around. Right. But uh, even without <laughs> lights, like how, how does it look? It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it, okay. it, it, the resolution is pretty rough. It does, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. it does not give you 1080p. So Does it um, even do 720? I'm not sure, but it's the resolution is not very good. But you know, you, yeah. you can't, you don't buy a you know $350 Coke can size projector if you're looking for like ultra 4K quality, in my opinion. So, no, but you know, there are $400 projectors that will get you 1080p quality and pretty good. That's right. That's right. They just too. aren't Coke can size. That's right. They aren't Coke can size. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, well, what about? It's definitely not the size of a Pepsi can. Or a... <laughs> RC Cola. It's, like a, it's more like a Coke <laughs> bottle, actually. Um, but uh, anyway, that's the Nebula capsule. You can, can buy it online right now. I know uh, um, you're not done with what you've been watching, and, I, yeah. and I'm speaking out of turn, but can I, since we're talking about technology, can I jump in real quick and talk about something that's changed my life recently? Sure. Uh, mm. I got bias lighting. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been, yes. I've been so wanting good. to do this, but um, let's just say uh, other house members do not approve. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's so funny. I've I've had other house members that uh, don't love it. I love it. <laughs> My wife also loves it too. So, so tell us what uh, bias lighting is, Jeff. For those who have no idea what it is. So bias lighting is light, usually a, a strip of LEDs that go behind your television that that kind of um, are around the circumference of your TV that that create a glow projected against the wall that your TV is either standing in front of or mounted on. Uh, and ideally, at least in the case of the one that I have, though the color of those LED project projections change with what mm. is on the screen. So bias lighting can be just a static uh, rim of light around the the screen that actually gives contrast, and it really improves the quality of what you're watching because uh, the way the human eye works, that contrast actually makes the image stand out. It, it seems actually a little counterintuitive from my perspective yeah. that light behind the TV would not be distracting or uh, actually, you know, decrease your enjoyment, but it actually makes the, the image stand out more from its surroundings and um, you're able to, your eye is able to see it better. So mm -hmm. I've been wanting to do this for a long time and there was a Kickstarter that I backed called Dream Screen 4K and it was the first time that I'd seen a 4K box that will match color for color of what's happening around the edge. And they had uh, a number of, of them for sale or not for sale, but Kickstarter. Uh, so this, I backed, I don't know, well over a year ago. Oh man. Yeah. And so I can't believe we both, took, we both took like pretty big chances on these Kickstarters yeah. because it's like, yeah. you have, when you, when you back one of these things, you have zero idea if you're actually going to get, uh, <laughs> get the product. Like it's, and, yeah. and if you do, is the product going to just be a piece of garbage? Right. Like there's a huge likelihood you won't get the product or the product will be terrible, but we both backed it. And it sounds like we both, uh, we both succeeded, right? Well, I, mine is a little more tempered. There, I have encountered some issues with Dream Screen 4K. Uh, when it works, it is phenomenal. But mm -hmm. there have been a few. The idea here is that it comes with a little box, a little, I don't know, small little hockey puck sized thing that you and, and a strip of LEDs that you put around your television. And the LEDs have self-adhesive side on them. And uh, that whole process actually was a lot less annoying to, to put up than I thought it was going to be. So that was great. Yeah. But 
the little hockey puck thing you plug all your HDMI ports into and then has an HDMI out that goes to your television. So it is processing the HDMI signal from your oh, Blu-ray wow. player or your yeah. or your uh, video game console or whatever that you're getting your signal from uh, and uh, analyzing it for what the color is around the edges of the image and then extending that color on your wall. And it's spectacular when it works. It is it kind of extends the experience across the entire surface of the wall you're watching it on. And it, it's so dramatic and so beautiful, but there has been some issues. I don't know if it, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. I have not figured out what the problem is, but my, sometimes like my, I, my initial hesitation with this thing is like HDMI handshaking, which is yes. sort of like the content protection, all that weird stuff. Like it's a mess and something like this, which is a box that's spitting the video signal through like, so, yeah, I could see some DRM being like, no, what are you doing? Are you copying this video? Uh, I'm it gonna has a problem video. with my Xbox One X a yeah, little bit. Yeah. It has uh, – sometimes it flickers, and my wife – when it flickers, my wife's like, turn it off. I'm like, but no, it'll, <laughs> I'm sure it'll work itself out. It's so nice. Um, so it hasn't been a completely seamless, perfect experience. But when it's on and it's working right – it is dramatic and beautiful, and I highly recommend well, it. It's turning it off. It feels like I'm losing right. something now. Right, right. You know, Jeff, there's completely legitimate non-Kickstarter ways to get bias lighting. Yeah. The uh, Philips Hue like light strips or the Philips Hue Bloom can mm-hmm. also do it as well. Have you heard of this? Do they do? Yeah, do they do? But they do like they don't sync to. It's screen. not. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. input the signal or anything crazy like that. That's like, like you set a color and it yeah. just keep, keeps it no, on. No, My no, dad no, no, has no, no, no. It, it like can read like uh, what is on screen, I think, um, oh. and, and produce an image like it. So I, I would look into that because I actually did explore this myself. But but basically there are uh, non-Kickstarter ways to do bias lighting. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of ways. To, I mean, yeah. you could hack it too. But honestly, if you just want a cheap thing, like I just have a strip of white LEDs behind my TV. And it, it still helps because it helps with the glare from a bright screen in your eyes. Like it kind of balances things out a little and it helps with contrast too. So there, there is that. Just go the cheap route. I think everybody should have this because it's just good for your eyes, especially if you're watching it at night. Yeah, honestly. I got a, I got a Luma, a Luma noodle, um, mm-hmm. which is extremely cheap. I got one for like $10 or something. Put that behind my yep. TV and it was great. All right. I hope we haven't completely lost people. Basically, this is we're, what talking we do. About, we're talking about ways to enhance your um, – your movie going experience at home. And one of those is bias lighting. Um, and the other one is uh, not the anchor <laughs> capsule projector. Extreme laziness. Yeah. You know, speaking of losing people, guys, there is an email that I forgot to read earlier on the show that I must get to. And this is in reference to our review of the villainous, which happened last week on the slash Filmcast. Uh, and on that episode, uh, we had this delightful interaction on the podcast where Jeff Kanata was saying how, oh, I had trouble telling Asian people apart in general. I did, not, I did not say that. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Say that. Um, and I said, you know, Jeff, I, I also had difficulty telling the Asian people in The Villainous <laughs> apart. Um, especially, it's very difficult because they have a character in there who, mm-hmm. uh, they, they have an actor play a character uh, pre-surgery and then a different actor yeah. play that character post The movie is not surgery. helping. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very confusing. And then we got this email from Tay from Toronto, Canada, who this, worked on the film. This blew my <laughs> mind. This blew my mind. Uh, he says here, I can tell you that only one actress 
played the protagonist. The actress Kim Okvin, who also made herself known to the international audiences by playing a big role in Park Chan-wook's Thirst, had right. to put on prosthetics to play the younger, non-child version of her character and her real face for the post-plastic surgery version. I've heard from the crew that since she had such a beautiful and singular face, it was difficult to make her quote-unquote ugly for the flashbacks. Uh, young Suki, listed on IMDb, is actually the child version of the character. <coughs> Uh, also, the director's second feature film, Confession of Murder, is actually a damn good movie with a huge twist in addition to some inventive stunts. The director is a former stuntman who made his directorial debut with a documentary called Action Boys that chronicled uh. his fellow stuntman's brutal training regime. I highly recommend Confession of Murder if you did not enjoy the soap opera of the villainous. Yeah. So that comes it's in from... A John, so it's like the John Wick uh, school of filmmaking at this point. So that's Indeed. pretty cool. Yeah. That's from Tay from Cro- Toronto. Yeah. yeah. One actress played the... <laughs> I was I was I was shocked, and this reminds me honestly of something an acting teacher once once mentioned to me when I was in acting school, and that is um, that w- with regard to dialects, doing a uh-huh. dialect in in a movie, and they, he he once told me that uh, doing a dialect as an actor, the effectiveness of the dialect is in direct proportion to what the audience knows of you beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like the, if you know that that is an Australian actor, their American accent will sound bad. Mm-hmm. Or if you know that's an American, their British accent is going to sound awful. But if, you've never, if you don't know them from Adam and you watch them, you're like, yeah, that's the British guy playing that British guy. That's, the, that's an American in that movie. And this is, the, this is the phenomenon here. I was not familiar with that actress. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't looking for prosthetics. Well, I just and honestly, the, I think the cast listing is is confusing as heck because I also had that impression the first time I saw the movies. Like they look really different, you know. <laughs> it, I mean, this is a triumph of of prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Jeff. Sure. Or, I also think it's that dialect thing that I'm talking about. It's like I just didn't know to look for it. Like that just yeah. accepted it on face value and uh, literally and uh, didn't. <laughs> Didn't know to be looking for seams, right? But yeah. if it had been, you know, some actress I was very familiar with, yes. I would I would be looking like, oh my god, look at how fake that nose looks, or whatever, you know. Well, I think we can all agree that the villainous review was a uh, a deep embarrassment for the slash film cast. I think is <laughs> really really the conclusion of this. So anyway, thanks to Tay for writing in and correcting us. Uh, and the villainous, pretty cool film. We reviewed it last week on the slash film cast. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Uh, we talked about tech. We talked about the villainous and how terrible we were last week. Uh, let's get to the stuff we've actually been watching, guys. Um, so uh, I had a chance to see The Ritual on Netflix, and uh, this movie is okay. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really? Is, I've been hearing astoundingly great things from people. I, I know. Seen, and, so. you know, yeah. that's, you said that on the podcast last week. So I was like, well, Devendra heard good things, so it must be good. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was okay. I think the there are some sequences that are really well executed, um, mm-hmm. and they're really frightening. But it ultimately fails uh, because you don't really give a crap about any of the characters. Like it's really tough to make you care about characters in a horror film. You know, it, it is just difficult, and that's why I think movies that do it well, like Ten Cloverfield Lane or uh, It Comes at Night, uh, I feel are a real triumph. So the ritual, it's, it's, again, some well-executed sequences, but I think it falls apart uh, when it comes to actually liking or caring about the fate of the main characters. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was okay. Not, not, a, not a great film, not a waste of time. Definitely a decent movie to watch on my ceiling at 10 p.m. on Saturday night. 
Um, so uh, the ritual is this on is the new time. the new a good sit is a good lay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know God. if I'd use that term. <laughs> I don't know if I'd use that term quite, Devendra. But uh, and also, guys, we didn't talk about this, but I wanted to mention the commuter, which I saw a few weeks ago. Uh, this is what's so crazy about our movie society now is I don't even think you can see the commuter in theaters right now, right? Uh, it's like completely moved out of theaters. But it's also uh, how long? When did it release? I think it was like mi- early January, like All right. know, like a month uh, ago. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, for for like a slocky movie like yeah. that, yeah, two months makes sense or one and a half months. I don't January twelfth is when the commuter came out. Oh it'll, wow! It'll yeah. be out on yeah. It's, so like five weeks ago, and now it's, you can't mm-hmm. find it anymore. But um. I'll just say a couple quick words, which is that so the commuter is is Liam Neeson's latest and probably last entry in I his hope. like you know badass father with a gun uh, yeah. franchise. Yeah, and uh, I mean here is the thing I just cannot get over. Okay, I've seen every single one of these Liam Neeson movies. Right, I've seen the entire <laughs> Taken trilogy. I've seen Nonstop. I've seen Unknown. Man, okay, uh, Run All Night. The Gray. How I've many seen, of these were directed by uh, John Calacera? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, several of them. I, so I've seen a lot of these <laughs> movies, guys. Okay? I've seen a lot of these movies. And what I don't understand is why does Liam Neeson continue to star in films in which his stupid mistakes get people killed? I mean, <laughs> if you look at Nonstop, it, like, people die in that movie directly as a result of Liam Neeson being a dumbass. And... The same is true of this movie, The Commuter, as well. And it, it just, it's so frustrating when your main character just gets people killed and doesn't seem to feel bad about it. Uh, and, and gets people killed for dumb reasons, you know? Uh, also, this, the visual effects uh, are really terrible. Did you guys see that movie, uh, Lockout, with uh, Guy Pierce, Space Jail movie? Oh, yes. Space Jail. Like, like there's, yes. there's a sequence in The Commuter that has visual effects. Uh, on the scale of Lockout, which if you've seen Amazing. Lockout, Amazing. there's I mean, a motorcycle chase sequence. Yeah, in that movie, exactly, which is, looks worse than most video games. If yeah. you see, if you see the commuter and you've seen Lockout, which <laughs> puts you, in, we, there's literally probably 30 people in the world that fall into that category. Yeah, um, you'll understand. But what they I'm are listening about. to the show. <laughs> they're, but they are listening to the show. That's the commuter. It's terrible, um, and I hope Liam Neeson. Is able to like. I feel like people like Liam Neeson and Tom Cruise are really getting to the end of their their time as action stars. And I hope they can exit. Liam Neeson barely had that too, right? It was just it was taken, and then he just rode this wave. Yeah, he he rode this wave for a good like ten years. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, and and, you know, surprises anybody. He's like, keep writing me checks. Yeah. All right. I just hope he kind of like. Gracefully transitions out. Also, Liam Neeson was fantastic in Silence, the uh, the mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese yeah. movie. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, I, I hope he transitions gracefully out of this phase of his career. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. As long as they keep writing the checks, maybe he won't. All right, Devinder Hardar, what have you watched this week? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the new game Florence. It's an iPhone game. Uh, from Ken Wong, the creator of Monument Valley, and uh, it's from his new game studio, Mountains. And uh, which is, yeah, I'm just we bringing. Sh- this- we should say mm-hmm. it's funded by Annapurna, which is the same yeah. company uh, that you know produced movies like Zero Dark Thirty and uh, some mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And um, are absolutely knocking it out of the park with video games. They're one they're of the so few good. publishers <laughs> where, if they're publishing it, I'm immediately interested. They they've done such an interesting eclectic. 
mm-hmm. grouping of Goragoa and it, it, there's so many great great games from them. It's it's awesome. Yeah, they're doing really great stuff. And so this game, it's basically like an interactive visual. You know, it's like an interactive graphic novel. It's a battle love story between this young girl um, and a cello player. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I really like it. this game, guys. I played you're, it. You really like really into this it. idea. Yeah, yeah. but um, uh, just just in terms of like, it's a short. It just feels like a short graphic novel. But I think the interactive aspects of it are really cool. Uh, the music is great uh, because you know there's a lot of cello music in this. And I think it just uh, does a good job of like making us feel for these characters, and it's also about like growing up and you know trying to make a life for yourself when you're out of college and maybe not happy with where your career is going. Um, yeah, it's moving. It's a really great experience. Play it with headphones. I love the art style. Uh, it's just this great like 2D uh, animated style. It's not like it's not always animated, but I think the style in general just looks good and the interactive bits are pretty clever there's a there's a lot of fun stuff like to have a conversation in this game you have to like piece together puzzle pieces and as your relationship uh, clicks a little better all of a sudden doing that is much easier and i found that to be a neat little thing um it's yeah it, it's a bit heartbreaking it's 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 interesting and just really sweet so i highly recommend everybody play it and yeah. you can get it on your iphone and i think ipad for three bucks we should also mention yeah. uh, Ken Wong, by the way, is the designer of Monument Valley. I don't think he mm-hmm. created it, um, but he's a designer on, on Monument Valley, which is one of the oh, most yeah, yeah. successful iOS games ever. Uh, and I believe is a Slash Filmcast fan. So yeah. um, he recommended the game to us and we tried it out and it's great. So the game is Florence and it's available on iPhone now. Devendra, what else are you watching? I've also been watching Runaways on Hulu and this is an adaptation of the uh, of the Marvel comic. And what's this is such a strange series because I really liked the comic because um, it was the the idea behind it is that these group of kids discover their parents are essentially supervillains and they decide to run away from home and kind of fight back against them. And this show, which is created by uh, Josh Schwartz and uh, somebody is the creator of the OC and Gossip Girl and one of the writers from those shows too, like. This show is just more about the teens being teens. Um, so we get to see more of their lives. And they actually don't run away. Um, yeah, slight spoiler, but they don't run away for a while. And that, <laughs> that's just kind of funny. Um, I watched the, the Runaways just, and there was no running away at all. No, what's, what's the deal? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but in the comic, the parents, I think, were pretty like cartoonishly evil in terms of like what we would think of as supervillains. And in this show, like the parents actually get a bit of humanity and they get growth as characters, which I found interesting. And it swaps like a lot of like shorthand from the comics to like uh, the show builds up this church, which is a bit of a cult like thing that, uh, you know, some people are part of. And that ties into everything that's happening. So basically, it's a really interesting offshoot of the ideas of the comic. And the characters are there like you have this, you know, the same group of people. Um, and I love the young actors they have playing all these kids. They just have a great dynamic. Um, there is indeed a pet dinosaur, uh, which was a big uh, hit in the comics. Uh, and just seeing that <laughs> realized in a TV show, it's not always great, uh, but sometimes it's prosthetics. It's like a pet raptor. And sometimes it's CG, and the CG just doesn't look as good as it could. Um, but, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to the show because it really takes its time to establish this world um, because they're all pretty much rich kids uh, in L.A. And they're dealing with, like, 
they slowly do discover that their parents are doing something weird. Uh, they're part of this weird cult group that apparently sacrificing children and the entire series about is about them like trying to stop their parents and trying to figure that out. And uh, I think, I think it's pretty well written just really dig the character. So if you like the comic, I, you may actually have problems with the way the show implements things, but I think the changes are mostly for the better. Uh, but at the same time, go, go read the comic. I believe that is a um, Brian K Vaughn series and mm-hmm. Joss Whedon did a run on that too. And that's that, you know, that was a lot of fun. So just check out runaways on Hulu. It's worth it. That's The Runaways is on Hulu. Anything else, Devendra? I think you've been watching The Joel McHale Show, right? Yeah, The Joel McHale Show with uh, Joel McHale. So this um, is another Netflix yeah. venture into like a talk <laughs> show. They do it once a week, right? Mm-hmm. Like We talked about the David Letterman show is like once a month, and I think Chelsea Handler is doing like once a day. It's all, it's yeah. all, all the schedule's all over the place on these things. The, but, the, yeah. yeah, they're experimenting with all sorts of stuff. But this is basically him transplanting the soup from, uh, from E!, to Netflix, like that, it's a it's literally that entire show, that same format. Him like mocking uh, media and talk shows and things from around the world. Except now he's mocking like everything. So he's mocking like uh, what like Korean television, uh, like dramas, uh, streaming TV. Like he's mocking shows from rival networks. He even like you know, I think it's self aware enough that he makes fun of Netflix things. But sometimes even like those references and making fun of them feels like a Netflix ad. It's kind of weird how that's all working out. Uh, but I I like this shtick. I feel like I got to take this like the smarmy Joel McHale stuff uh, in small doses. But these short episodes are exactly you know kind of what I need. So I th- I think that's a lot of fun. And uh, they don't they definitely don't shy from having a lot of like celebrity cameos. At least for this first episode I saw. Um, yeah, just really digging it. I'm kind of glad he still has time to do this. And I don't know if it's the same writing staff from, uh, you know, Toxie, but at least he gets to do that again. Uh, so yeah, worth watching. Um, also a quick shout out to the Chris Rock thing on Netflix. Uh, Chris Rock uh, comedy special, right? Yeah, I I saw that. I just wanted to say like, it's, uh, it is, it's really obvious. Uh, Chris Rock went through a divorce. Like (laughs) This entire show is about like him trying to piece his life back together and his sex life and romantic life and everything. Uh, you know, I think it's mostly good. Like he was always an insightful guy. I think at this point, uh, maybe a little like Dave Chappelle, like he is saying some things in in this in the special that I don't quite agree with. But you know, it gets clapped. So I don't know. Maybe some of the audience does. Um, I, I, it would. It didn't like necessarily bother me as much as some of Chappelle stuff, but uh, I, I found it funny. Like it's funny seeing Chris Rock get get back into this thing and trying to have observations. And he definitely has some, there are some great bits in this. And then there are some where like, dude, you are, you sound like a creepy old, old dude right now who apparently is really enjoying having sex with like 20 year olds uh, or something like that. Uh, And he talks a lot about that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of different things, but I think it's worth watching, especially if you like Chris Rock. That's uh, Tambourine. It's on Netflix yeah. right now. It's Chris Rock's new comedy special. Also, uh, The Joel McHale Show. New episodes every Sunday on Netflix. Jeff Kanata, mm-hmm. you've been watching something? Yeah, I, uh, I checked out Brigsby Bear. You had mentioned last week that you liked it and you thought I would. First of all, Actually, I'm touched that you checked out a recommendation that I made, Jeff. That's very nice. Very cool. I do all the time, Dave. It just uh, rarely works out. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. I can't help that you don't recognize the greatness of David Farrier's Tickled documentary, but you know. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I uh, 
I watched Brigsby Bear, rented it on the old uh, Amazon streaming service, um, and I really didn't know anything about it going in. I kind of pointedly didn't listen after you said I should watch it uh, to what you had said about it last week, and you didn't really go into it very, very deeply. Uh, I would love to have a, a longer conversation with you about it at some point. Um, I think it's a very sweet movie. It's got a lot of heart, and I just uh, Kyle Mooney is a co-writer and the star. And man, I, I really enjoy him on Saturday Night Live, and his performance in this is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It, it's such a tender, innocent, sweet performance uh, that really could have felt like parody or uh, sketch. You know, it could it could have fallen into that. It could have been a goofy character. I mean, this could have been like an Adam Sandler movie, uh, but it isn't. It's much deeper and more nuanced than that, and I. I appreciated it. I think the movie glosses over some things that f- for the sake of making it a very light experience that I think uh, it, it gives short shrift to the concept a bit. But uh, overall, I thought it was a very sweet movie that um, that is about the love of making things and the love of creativity. And for all of that, I thought it was – was really quite touching and beautiful, but uh, it wasn't a complete home run for me. Mm. Yeah, did you understand like the uh, the disaster artist parallels I was trying to draw? Though I feel like structurally the films are very similar. Um, I do. I I, I I had that in the back of my head the whole time I was watching it, and I thought I, I, there were times when I was like, nah, I don't know, Dave. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I that sounds like I, your motto, Jeff. I don't know, Dave. Yeah, that's what I that's what I'm always. Saying. My wife is like again with the I don't know, Dave. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I totally understand what you're saying in the sense that it is a, a sort of neophyte trying to make something yeah. and, uh, you know, failing into success. Um, but it, it's a very odd thing that this movie manages to sell, right? <laughs> like you buy into this thing that is very, very strange, <laughs> Uh, and there's really no antagonist, right? The antagonist yeah. is just sort of human nature. Everybody's okay and fine, even though some truly horrific things have happened. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's worth watching. It's a sweet, sweet little movie. It's only an hour and a half. Um, it, you know, it's, I, I, I enjoyed it. I just didn't love it as much as I, I thought I might. All right. Well, thanks for giving me a shot, Jeff, and glad, uh, that, glad that you enjoyed it. Were you, I, were you really high on it? Uh, yeah, I really liked it quite a bit. You know, yeah. um, uh, like I said, it almost it barely missed my top ten. It would probably be my top twenty. Oh. You know, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I quite enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I think there's a lot. It's it's beautiful, and and the thoughts are beautiful, and also the concept is really original. You know, for like, sure. Yeah, um, and the the tightrope of tone it manages yes. to walk is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. So. But like the, the parents, it, it just it doesn't. I felt like it wasn't honest about what the parents would be like, yeah, you know, yeah. but, uh, but it's cause it's kind of keeping this light feel. It's the, and, and I, you know, I get, I get that. Yeah. It's not, it's not room, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that reference will sound really weird, really weird to anyone who does. It's it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's you know we've talked about the disaster artist, which is about the room, and Briggs Me Bear is very similar to Room. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. and I'll just leave it at that. Okay, that's what we've been watching this week. 
Um, before we get to our review, we've got to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. Thanks so much to Shannon McEarlane, who gave us a massive donation. Thanks also to Brian from Lehigh, Utah. If you want to support the show and help us defray the cost of seeing movies and uh, recording the podcast for you, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, we would be super grateful for that. You can also go to PayPal.me slash FilmCast. That's PayPal.me slash the word FilmCast if you want to support the Slash FilmCast. Again, thanks to Shannon McCurlane and Brian from Lehigh, Utah for their contributions this week. Let's move on to our review of Black Panther. Tell me something. What do you know about Wakanda? It's a third world country. Textiles, shepherds, cool outfits. All the front. Explorers have searched for it. Called it El Dorado. Looked for it in South America, but it was in Africa the whole time. I'm the only one who's seen it and made it out alive. That was from the trailer of Black Panther, the newest Marvel film. Here is the IMDb plot summary. T'Challa, the king of Wakanda, rises to the throne in the isolated, technologically advanced African nation, but his claim is challenged by a vengeful outsider who is a childhood victim of T'Challa's father's mistake. This is a Slash Filmcast joining us today for our Black Panther review. You may have seen her work at Vice, The Daily Beast, Harper's Bazaar, and GameSpot. She's also written a new piece at SlashFilm.com entitled, Black Panther is not merely a moment, it's here to stay. Candace Frederick... Welcome to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Candice? I'm well. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Really Great. excited to, t- to dive into this film. There seems to be a lot of meat on that bone, uh, <laughs> a lot to, to discuss. Um, so, Candice, I want to ask you about your piece uh, later on. But first, why don't you just tell us uh, your overall thoughts on Black Panther? I, I know uh, you're not uh, uh, super into the comic books, but you've uh, seen all, uh, pretty much all the Marvel films. So how do you feel like Black Panther measures up to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't, I don't ever really see any of the comic book movies as measuring them against other comic book movies. I measure mm-hmm. them outside of the quote-unquote comic book universe. Um, but if we're going to keep it within that kind of space, um, I don't know. I, re- I really liked it. I was definitely um, personally impacted by it just because there was it was so interesting to see so many people in the movie who looked like look like either me or people, you know, people who are in my family, my friends, it looked very, um, accessible. Um, and it talked about a lot of, it hit on a lot of different themes that I think we as, as black community really talk about kind of behind closed, closed doors, but it really broke apart, um, the many layers in which we talk about sociopolitically and, um, just kind of being navigating, the nation as a black person. Um, and so the film kind of touched on that in a very broad way. Um, and so that's what I liked about it. Very One cool. of the things I liked about it. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can dive more in depth into some of those themes uh, in the spoiler section. 
do want to mention that you're talking about accessibility. Uh, I mean, this seemed to be a movie that was accessible for everyone. Uh, the movie made $235 million between Friday and, Sun- uh, and Monday. It broke a ton of records. I think it's the second most successful Marvel film of all time, uh, if you're talking about opening weekends. It's made more money in four days than Justice League did in its entire theatrical domestic run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows no signs of stopping. I think this thing is going to be uh, one of the biggest hits of the year. So I- incredible box office performance. Uh, Most successful uh, solo superhero movie opening ever. Yeah. Although it's kind of a team movie. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> yeah. true. Just not a yeah. team of uh, of uh, with comic book characters who have been introduced in previous films. Right. Not, um, not a team. Not a team in the title. Yeah. Uh, correct. Uh, other records is broken. Biggest February opening weekend of all time. Biggest non-sequel opening weekend of all time. Uh, biggest Friday to Sunday opening weekend for a long holiday debut. Biggest long holiday opening weekend. Uh, biggest opening weekend ever for any movie not directed by a white guy. Uh, and so on and so forth. Just it's, It is just completely obliterating all these records. Jeff Kanata, I, I have heard tell that you're a Marvel zombie from way back. I am what indeed. did you think of indeed. Black Panther? Um... It is. It's it's real good. It's awesome. Uh, I I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, it, it's, you know, if you're looking at it from the through the lens of the the marvelness of it, I still find myself just so amazed that we are living in a world where so many of these characters that are sort of sort of deep lore characters. These are not. You know, there was a there were a few years when we were getting the household name characters, and then we started to scratch under that surface, and now we're getting these th- this universe peopled by um, a, a much richer, deeper cast of characters that have always been part of the tapestry of the comic book universe. Uh, but it's it's amazing that that is even happening. So the fact that we can talk about uh, a Black Panther movie and a Doctor Strange movie and an Ant Man movie and and that these are all viable things as a Marvel fan for me is, is amazing and awesome in and of itself. The film is a a remarkable thing because it manages, manages to be both James Bond and game of Thrones at the same time. Uh It, It gets to be cool future tech, you know, gadget, awesome, super spy, super agent guy. And it also manages to be, kind of sword and sorcery uh families shakespearean drama all at the same time and it doesn't give either of those sides short shrift and it does something that marvel movies as much as i have loved them uh haven't done very well recently it creates an amazingly compelling villain right that actually has Mm -hmm. a story arc of his own and is uh has actually a point of view that you can kind of sympathize with and it's a throwback to how they used to do superhero movies actually before Marvel started doing it, which is, uh, this, you know, this sort of old Tim Burton, Batman movies of like, we show this origin of the villain alongside the origin of the hero and they're intertwined and, uh, two sides of the same coin and all that stuff. And that's a really fun, awesome, uh, way to do it. And I love that this movie embraces that. And the, the fact that these characters are so awesome, the supporting cast is amazing. There is uh, a set piece in the center of the film that is absolutely white knuckle thrilling fun. I do have some complaints there. There, I have some minor quibbles. 
I think, uh, unfortunately, we've gotten to the point with these movies where we're, for some reason, we haven't managed to improve on digital stunt people in a, in a long time. We've gotten worse, Jeff. We've gotten worse. <laughs> I think you're right. Honestly. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, every every element of digital effects has has progressed, and yet digital stunt people feel less and less weighty and substantial and real. And this movie relies on it quite often. And so did Amazing Spider-Man, and so did you know certainly not alone in that in that problem. But it's unfortunate because it steals, I think, a little authenticity from all of those moments where it's used, and it just feels like. I, I I wish there was a better way that that could be realized, but it's in service of some really awesome action moments. Uh, I do think, and you guys may disagree with me on this one, I do think some of the hand-to-hand choreography isn't as strong as it could be. Um, but overall, the movie is thrilling. It is fun. It's Shakespearean. It creates a mythology that is wholly unique and interesting and deep and a world that we've never seen before and characters that we can fall in love with and really uh, want to hang around with more and uh, will certainly be great in future films. It is, it really does so many things really, really well. Um, I, I, I really had a great time watching yeah. Black Panther. Decades ago, Jerry Seinfeld had this bit about Bond movies, and he said, uh, in Bond movies, they have the most evil guy in the world versus the most good guy in the world, and you leave liking them both equally. And he thought that was mm. a really interesting curiosity about Bond movies. I agree with you. This is a, a villain character who uh, is actually, like, uh, uh, you know, draws a lot of sympathy, I think, from the audience, and probably is the best villain uh, character possibly ever. In, in Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would say. Uh, I, I would have a in a superhero movie in general. But yeah. yeah. Uh, and Pan- outside of superhero movies. I mean, <laughs> yeah. just think character, Well, I mean, I think when I, when I come to approach these types of movies, I'm always thinking kind of outside of yeah. the superhero movie. And I'm, and I'm always hearing like, oh, it's the best superhero movie. It's the best mm-hmm. Marvel movie. This is just a good movie in and out of superhero comic books, things like that. These are... All of these people don't, none of these characters seem like superheroes. They seem right. like actual beings who I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, go, they're dealing with conflict and they're saying things and they're, they're, they're having to navigate issues that many people today, circa now, circa USA, are dealing with and talking about. Um, and they're, they are kind of weeding through that in, in their own superhero universe. Hmm. Yeah, yes. it's an amazing thing that we have gotten to this place where big budget tentpole films like this that are ostensibly popcorn entertainment uh, can also be about something. And I'm kind of amazed that this is this is true. Like, I, I think we saw it with the last Star Wars film, uh, Last Jedi. It was mm-hmm. also true that hidden inside this – or not even hidden, but – inside this candy shell <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. a really great candy. Like the candy is delicious and, and, you know, pleasing to eat and has all that great <laughs> sugar rush that you would expect from candy inside. That is, is some really nutritious stuff. Some really, you know, <laughs> like you said, meat on the bone in there. So it's candy in that surrounds meat is what I'm saying. It's yeah. not a great metaphor, but <laughs> that's pretty rough. Uh, it's pretty rough. Jeff. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I really like this piece by uh, Jelani Cobb for The New Yorker uh, entitled Black Panther and the Invention of Africa. And he talks about how um, the uh, Marvel films have not shied away from political concerns. He says, quote, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, released in 2014, grapples with ideas of preemptive warfare, drones, and the surveillance state as elements of the war on terror. And the first Iron Man film from 2008 addressed war profiteering and arms contractors at a time when the U.S. was still heavily involved in Iraq. So, uh, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. um, the Marvel films have tried to be about something. And I think this certainly continues that trend uh, in a really interesting way. Uh, Devendra, let's hear your thoughts on Black Panther. I have a feeling you like this one. I uh, yeah, I, I really like this one. I spent this entire weekend just like sharing, retweeting, and reading all the pieces and you know all the work about it. Um, this movie is a lot, and I, I mean that like in the best way possible. Like everything about this movie blows my mind, and you know I, I feel like I say this a little too much sometimes when I really like a movie, but it also feels kind of like a miracle, like a film that shouldn't exist. Uh, But it proves so many things. It proves that Ryan Coogler is one of the greatest filmmakers of his generation of right now, because this guy is coming off of Creed, which was fantastic and for Vail station. And I think like you see like his skill, you see what's going on here. Uh, This guy is not messing around. He knows what he's doing when it comes to making big budget action movies at this point. And we might be seeing a, a, uh, Scorsese De Niro like yep. yep. combination mm-hmm. here with uh, Michael B. Jordan, you know, it's, yes. it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. It's pr- it's perfect. It's so great. And uh, everything about this movie just works like the surface level plot of a king finding his place, you know, uh, what kind of king he wants to be. I think that all works. But where this movie really clicks for me is with Killmonger and with mm-hmm. building a villain that in many ways is more sympathetic than the main character. And that's an astonishing thing, right? We talk about how you know fun the Joker is to watch or something, but having a villain where you care what they're going through, um, and where like even during you know the, there's going to be a final fight between them, of course, I feel like we we kind of empathize with both of them in some ways. Um, so just like how well written Killmonger is, and how like the tapestry of what this movie tackles is, uh, it's pretty deep. It's pretty like this is a movie that explores the concept of colonialism and what that means and seeing a nation in Africa that was never touched by colonialism and just just imagining what that is. Um, This movie like portrays like uh, our hero is surrounded by these awesome, intelligent, powerful women and he never belittles them. He fully trusts them. Like there's just I, I, I was pretty much like in tears throughout most of this movie because there's just so much awesome there. It's so much of what I want to see. Um, I wrote a piece uh, at Engadget about uh, how also this movie, I think it's going to be the biggest shot at making the idea of like Afrofuturism mainstream. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, that's an amazing thing. We've seen it in music videos. We've seen a ton of things and lots of books. But in terms of like, you know, easy to consume pop culture, it's mainly been like a fringe thing. And I think like just kids seeing this and it's the entire idea of this movie. Somebody seeing this, uh, which directly relates to seeing this movie, they're seeing this as a child will open up, you know, open up their imaginations and open up their minds to the possibilities, uh, you know, for them and people who look like them and that's kind of amazing and yeah the entire cast is awesome and i just want to throw a special shout out to letitia wright who's having an amazing year and is also from my home country so i'm just like you know following her career very closely uh very proud of her in general Uh, and Mm -hmm. she also ends up being like uh, one of the uh i don't know scene stealers in this movie but i feel like there's so many of them like everybody does this at some point so yeah love this movie completely but i also agree with you jeff the special effects stuff it is disheartening that 
It is the year 2018, and uh, still Spider-Man 2, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2, not the amazing Spider-Man 2, <laughs> is still the pinnacle of like digital character uh, choreography. Because I remember uh, when they were making that movie, they talked about how uh, they were studying the Cirque du, uh, Cirque du Soleil dancers and how they moved and how they jumped around, and that was a huge improvement from the Spider-Man movement in the first movie. And you could really tell. like, There's a lot of weight to it. Um, I, I think like the failure of that in this movie comes down to the crazy crush, uh, that the, you know, special effects industry is going through the visual graphics people. Like it's, there's a lot of work. If you look at the credits to all these movies, like there are dozens of studios sometimes, or a lot of studios working on a movie, uh, on a time crunch and they may not have time to like perfect what they're doing. So it's like the one aspect of this movie that won't age very well. But beyond that, like it's, this movie is everything to me. And I think, um, the things I love especially are just like clearly Ryan Coogler just like is also a fan of movies. Like there's so many mm-hmm. nods to things I love here. Like uh, and just little things. I feel like the whole um, the whole there is a casino sequence in South Korea that is straight up Bond. Uh, but at the same time, somehow it feels like there's a not a crouching tiger hidden dragon in there. Um, yeah. In the fight scene in there, there's a chase sequence that follows. It feels like there's a shot that reminds me of the born supremacy. And I feel like that's not an accident. Just like the cars careening straight into like fast moving traffic. Um, you, you look at that and you look at like the great Chaxi chasing from uh, born supremacy. Uh, it's, it's pretty much all there. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I love pretty much everything about this movie. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I hope we see more of this character. And I hope Ryan Coogler gets to keep doing amazing things and really keeps this voice. Cause his voice is so damn important right now. Yeah, uh, you know, just for the record, I I really enjoyed it. I think it it uh, surprised me in a number of ways. Um, I thought it would be like a, uh, you know, I had high expectations, but I was also like thought in a worst case scenario it would be kind of um, more of a cookie cutter kind of Marvel film, like like that introduces a character like a like a Thor one or something like that. But right. uh, the movie has a lot of ideas, as you guys have already touched upon. And uh, also, in addition, I mean, it is able to execute on the villain character with such a high level of skill, which is especially notable because Marvel villains in general have been a wasteland. I mean, it's very difficult to remember any of them, uh, with maybe the exception of Loki. And I mean, that's really the only one that I think is worth noting. Um, Yeah. So... I think uh, they they really created something wonderful here. It's packed full of amazing ideas. And Jeff, you, you captured it well, talking about how uh, it, it does manage to capture this kind of uh, drama about who is going to sit on the throne, but also at the same time uh, allow you to geek out about the technology as well. I think the costume design, the production design, the conception of the gadgets, um, it's all firing mm-hmm. on all cylinders here. Um, so uh, I, I really enjoyed it as well. Devinder, you mentioned uh, some of the cast, like Letitia Wright is great. Uh, Candace, I'm curious if you have like an MVP of this movie that you thought uh, was was uh, your favorite character and, and uh, why? Um, a character that I keep on coming back to, I mean, one Shuri, uh, Letitia Wright as Shuri is absolutely amazing. All the women are really amazing. I love that they are centered. I love that they have so much screen time and that they are so important and vital to the um, arc of the main character. But also you care about all of them, especially when they're in a fight, when they're in a conflict, you actually want them to survive it. Um, 
I a character that I keep coming back to because I think he had some of the best lines in the movie. I mean, the movie is wonderfully written, but I keep coming back to Killmonger. Um, mm-hmm. I something that I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that a lot of people haven't really picked up on is the connection between Black Panther and Black Panther. Um, mm-hmm. The actual, you know, the actual movement that is actually still around, um, and the 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 very definition of what a Black Panther is, which I think Killmonger was really struggling with that, and I think in some respect he was trying to embody this role of the Black Panther when um, uh, T'Challa was like this literal sense of Black Panther. Right. But I thought that Killmonger was actually the figure, Black Panther, who we know from from just U.S. history, who this person represents. And that's what I thought was really interesting. Even in the marketing of the movie, it was all about the Black Panther movement, almost exclusively, especially the Black, the black and white images, the Black berets, particularly that, of course, Michael B. Jordan had on. And so it all kind of, it, it was very, very, um, uh, it was very connected to me. I, I could not separate those two things because they mm-hmm. seemed so embedded within one another. And yeah, of course, I mean, the line, yeah. Oh, the, oh, sorry. They also, the Gil Scott Heron song, like in the trailer, mm-hmm. I yep. never thought I'd see something like that. And I think that specifically, yeah, conveyed what you're saying, right? It is evoking that idea of revolution and the, the actual Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, uh, I'd, I had said uh, numerous occasions that, one of the missteps that Marvel films tend to constantly fall into is this feeling, this this weird necessity to feel like the villain has to be the same as the the hero, like the same suit, the same powers, just like this. And I, and I and this movie proves, oh, that wasn't the problem. <laughs> it was it, it wasn't just the fact that it was you know uh, b- bad Ant Man or bad Iron Man or mm-hmm. you know yeah. it, it's it's that there was just not enough there there because uh, having sort of bad Black Panther is a really interesting idea that it, that actually enhances both sides mm-hmm. of the storytelling and because it goes beyond just the superhero too like it's the idea of like the identity of these characters and like. Do you want to be this is something, yeah, we've been seeing throughout history, right? Do you want to be the kind of leader who inspires hope and cultural change, or do you want to like kind of actually do it a little more by force? And mm-hmm. it's it's the conflict between those two impulses, I think that's really interesting. All right, guys, why don't we move into spoilers? I think there's still way more to discuss. So uh, <laughs> let's dive into spoilers for Black Panther starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. This weekend, I saw this amazing Marvel film. It's directed by a person of color who started out in the independent film scene. And like most great directors, they always have that one lucky charm who appears in all their films, which is pretty cool. Uh, My favorite scene in the movie, which you saw in the trailers, is when the protagonist must fight this much bigger dude in a ring in front of an audience. Needless to say, the protagonist prevails. Uh, But anyway, this film focuses on a nobleman who just became king of this mystical land after his father passed. 
this place would never exist in real life, but it's a movie, so we let it slide. And shortly after the original king's death, the main antagonist, a blood relative of the hero, whose identity has been kept secret among the mystical land, finally returns to reclaim it. In the climactic battle, which is pretty awesome, just as we think the good guys might not be good enough to prevail, this, a tribe from earlier comes in to help stop the villain from succeeding. This movie yeah. is awesome. But guys, let's stop talking about Thor Ragnarok. Let's move on and talk about Black Panther. <laughs> you were really sitting on that one. Boom goes yeah. that. I actually completely ripped that uh, off from, <laughs> from Douglas Rutnarak in the uh, in the Slack Filmcast chat room. But uh, That was Rutnarak's Ragnarok? That's right. Rutnarak's <laughs> Ragnarok joke. Um, anyway. I also, it was too good. It was too good for just for Dave at this point. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I couldn't. Uh, I, I just had to. I'm sorry. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, you know, there are a lot of similarities between those two films now that you think about it. I mean, uh, at, at the same yeah. time, I think what is so awesome about Black Panther is even though some of these archetypes are similar, like it feels like completely new, you know, just because mm-hmm. the the execution of like all those uh, secondary aspects of the movie, like the, how the world is conceived, the the set dressing and the design – um, it all feels very fresh and yeah. uh, is able to kind of breathe life into this uh, story that is, uh, is, is pretty interesting but obviously has echoes from, from other Marvel films. Um, so uh, the, the main conflict right in this movie is this idea of isolationism versus using uh, Wakandan technology to – uh, right. to wreak havoc upon the world or... Being a conqueror, basically. Yeah, being a yeah. conqueror or using Wakandan technology to uh, try and build bridges, as uh, the character says in the end. He almost says uh, wall, like, or build walls, yep. but he says yep. borders instead, so... It's pretty, I mean, yeah, it's pretty pointed, <laughs> though. We know yeah. what he's talking about. Yeah, and uh, I, I just thought that was a really uh, fascinating concept because <laughs> uh, it... It does seem like, uh, and it, the movie seemed more about the idea of Wakanda than it seemed about Black Panther. Even you know what I mean? Like it's about yeah. what is the fate of Wakanda? Like that was, uh, you know, more or the not even just the fate, the obligation of right. Wakanda. The uh, mm-hmm. the, the obligation. Yeah. You're right, right, and um, that was more interesting to me than even the characters. Is like this idea of Wakanda is so well realized. Uh, and what like the the world altering implications of this world existing yeah. uh, right. would be profound, and and the movie really kind of brings that to life in a way that I feel like few Marvel films have done yeah. uh, anything like that. So, and you know the the first post credit scene in the film, I, the, I turned to my friend as we were sitting there, and I went, "Well, this literally changes." planet earth <laughs> in, in the marvel universe yeah you know what i mean like that it's from now on from this point forward everything has to be different right this is a pretty massive if you're having this universe of films that are all taking place in this shared world it's a pretty big deal that oh okay all of a sudden we're gonna share our tech with you wow yeah, it's, it's a pretty big deal unless some sort of powerful alien comes down from space and wreaks havoc across the planet. What, what, <laughs> what are the odds of that happening? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> but you know what? One thing that's just really interesting too, is that um, the idea of Wakanda as a, as a place, it just looks unlike anything we've ever seen before. And I think a lot of credit goes to, uh, to the production designer, Hannah Beachler, and also just everybody working in the background of this movie. Like this movie doesn't look like anything we've seen before. I'm trying to think of like, you know, a mainstream film that kind of has so much of this image 
three, even if it's just like color. And honestly, Thor Ragnarok was probably like the last time we've seen like great, I don't know, colorful uh, imagery in like a big superhero film, which is kind of strange to say. But in terms of like, you know, seeing an African nation like in prosperity and the excellence of it, uh, I, I don't know, coming to America, which is I love that movie. But, you know, not directed, you know, directed by right, dude. Uh, mm. But it's Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall's movie, basically. Um, but, yeah, that's mm. kind of what we had to go back to. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that how we how we are talking about um, portrayals of African of Africa, because I think before for a long time, there have been a lot of portrayals that was, you know, showed Africa constantly in poverty, constantly like suffering, everybody sick or dying or dead. It's very, it's very, it was always very, very, very negative. And we never saw it so progressive as it is seen in this movie, even like more recent depictions, which I love and, and which are directly in contrast to prior depictions like Queen of Katra, which I yeah, really, really, yeah. really loved. I so don't know good. why nobody saw that, but that was a very, very good movie. Again, starring Lupita Nyong'o. Mm-hmm. Um, and but this is this is one of those this this looks like one of those landscapes where w- we've seen futuristic landscapes, but we've never seen them populated by black people like we mm-hmm. we see it in here. And that's what makes this so fantastical, but also so. Um, it's just wonderful to actually see because mm-hmm. we because we just don't ever ever see that. It's earth shattering. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think what what's also really interesting too is like this idea, this movie more so than just like relating to real world conflicts. Like yeah, Iron Man touched on you know uh, the uh, our love of uh, of war and uh, I don't know weapons selling. Like it 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 evoked some of that imagery. This movie goes for the jugular and like. Der- directly relates to you know struggles that uh people are actually facing in the real world i love that it's yeah outside of the um little the great like animated opening sequence we start in oakland and we start in the real world ostensibly and i love how the movie is rooted in that i guess we shouldn't expect any less from ryan kugler because that's also kind of how that's how creed started right like it is rooting these stories in the real so you can really understand these characters what was fascinating to me is that I ended up uh, that whole grounding ended up showing us the dark side of Wakanda and the dark side of that success and showing how it all led to creating a villain like Killmonger. Um, that, that was just also fascinating. I, I can't, I think in most movies like this, right, you'd say, oh, man, look at this awesome futuristic city. Nothing is bad about this. This is just awesome. And even this movie can be brave enough to show us the awesomeness of this and, like, fight for that. And at the same time, be like, well, you know, uh, there <laughs> there was a cost to this. Um, your father was not as good as you thought he was. And mm-hmm. honestly, like, just the idea that, you know, Wakanda, if Wakanda exists, like, yeah, the rest of the world uh, anyone of African descent from you know around the world probably could have used their help over the past couple hundred years, and that, it's kind of insane that this movie even reckons with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's um, a very compelling yeah. argument for sure. S- speaking and- of the technology, I just want to geek out for one moment. You, you know what occurred to me while I was watching this movie is uh, there is this technology in the film that's like uh, kind of uh, this sand? Ho- holographic sand. <laughs> is yeah, that, is yeah. that's how you yeah. describe it. And the same exact technology is shown in Man of Steel and, um, uh, you know, Superman's world. And uh, but it is, you know, and I love to bag on the DC universe whenever I can. I know I'm going to get like 50 tweets about this, but 
uh, it just is so much better realized in this movie, in my opinion. From the, it's introduced kind of almost incidentally, but then it is how they do the remote piloting of vehicles and like the sand mm-hmm. forms the formation of the vehicle. <laughs> it just mm-hmm. so it's just so cool. Like I love the way the movie slow. That's what I think is is optimal about introducing technology like that. Is you, you kind of give people a taste of it and then you kind of build to the full implications of it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Without fully explaining it even. Like, oh, oh right. it's sand. It's no sand no one explained it. Like, yeah, this it. is magnetic sand that blah, blah, blah. Like, no one did that. You just you yep. get it from the visual itself. Um, uh, I'm going to jump into your boat of uh, getting nasty emails, as I often do, and, and <laughs> awesome. solidify my, my perception as a DC hater uh, with two points. <laughs> the first is... <laughs> the first is that uh, uh, this... All of that future tech, the, the Wakanda, the the idea of it, it's all consistent with the comics, mm-hmm. which is pretty darn cool. Uh, and and I mean, these are comics written in the late '60s, right? This is this idea here. It's not like this was invented to fit some political agenda of our time, right? It it is very much our time. It is very much speaking to the ills that still. Uh, that still permeate our our world and our geopolitical landscape, but it is very, it is just as authentic a comic book film as any other in the Marvel canon, which is it's just pretty awesome to say. I think the second point I will <laughs> agree and jump in on the DC harping, and that is this is kind of the idea that that seems to be attempted with these last Superman films. This idea right. of if there was this omnipotent being wouldn't he have this crazy obligation and also wouldn't he be terrifying and well you know all of that stuff is so clumsily handled in those movies and you get like it talking at you and Mm -hmm. it's not actually there's no actual conflict there it's just sort of lip service of conflict and this movie is a such a beautiful illustration of how that conflict can be dramatized, uh, dramatized, dramatized. Mm-hmm. What word is that? <laughs> dramatized. Uh, it can be dramatized uh, so effectively with great characters and it doesn't need to be, uh, it doesn't need to be, you know, a, a cell phone going, hey, look, we're, don't you have to save the, you know, it's so, it doesn't have to be, it's show not tell, right? These are mm-hmm. characters that mm-hmm. it, it means something to them rather than just talking at the audience. And that, that's just at the core of building good characters, right? That's great writing in general. So you, yeah. you kind of you see the big difference there between those two sets of movies. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I'm still reeling from this thing. I've seen it twice at this point. I can't wait to go back and watch it again. Um, Jeff, you were saying you were a little disappointed with maybe the hand-to-hand uh, choreography. And I think the bigger problem there is just maybe the way it was shot because it wasn't as fluid as, especially like in Creed, uh, the like the casino sequence has a great long take sequence and there's yeah, some awesome. great choreography there, especially from uh, Denai Guerrera, who is just mm-hmm. awesome, just completely awesome in this movie. But through like throughout the big battle scene and, and um, you know, just the the big one in one fights with T'Challa, it's yeah. like it feels like it was cut quickly or rushed or yeah, something there's like a lot of a close up yeah. shots it's uh, a lot of quick cuts so mm-hmm. i yeah i understand you know I, I agree with you guys like the hand-to-hand stuff like the fight in 
uh, in the ring, you know, the ritual. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't as as taken with it. Uh, actually, it, I'll be honest. I thought the plotting for the first hour was kind of uh, odd. Like I, I, so I had not it's seen different. a single. Yeah, I had not seen a single trailer. I didn't know anything about the film, and it took me a while to figure out what is this movie going to even be about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. when Killmonger shows up and he arrives back home, uh, I'm like, oh, now I understand what's happening. You know, like <laughs> it's all been building up to this. That's why you had the ritual earlier and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it took me a while to kind of figure out like where this movie is going. But once it did snap into place, it was quite thrilling and and builds to a, a heartbreaking moment with uh, with Killmonger at the end, which is something that I didn't anticipate either. Um mm. I had a question for you, Candace. You were talking about the uh, Black Panthers earlier and how, like, Killmonger in some ways symbolizes uh, the Black Panther movement. Uh, there's been this uh, this um, uh, opinion online, this this opinion about the movie Black Panther as being problematic because of uh, the ending of the film. And uh, I just want to read a couple tweets to you from uh, – this is from – at uh, Leslie Lee the third, um, he writes here, quote, Black Panther is a deeply evil film. It dangles the idea of global black liberation in front of you, paints that as villainous, then ends in an orgy of the freest black people to ever walk the earth, slaughtering each other to protect whites. That shit turned my stomach. Imagine <laughs> Star Wars ending with a civil war between the rebels and Luke kills Leia because using violence against the Empire would make them as bad as the Empire. Uh, people can quote, tweet, and be mad, but they can't actually dispute anything I said. Wakandans give a white CIA agent Wakandan tech to kill other Wakandans to stop their tech going to Wakandans who are going to stage a global uprising of the oppressed. This was the film. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, I was wondering if you had heard of this interpretation and, and what your reaction was to it. I have never heard that until just this moment. Indeed. <laughs> so, so, I am going to need a minute to get to process that. <laughs> sure. But, um, I will say one part of it. Uh, I knew that people were going to come after Martin Freeman's character. <laughs> I knew yeah. that was going to come because he and Andy Serkis are obviously the only two white guys in the movie. Well, also, and, and the tour guide, too. And I think that's very pointed why she's a white expert in African art. That's interesting. Yeah. I love that somebody called them the Tolkien whites. Yeah. Yes. The, to- the Tolkien white guys. Cause they've been yeah. in uh, the Tolkien films, but yeah. So I funny. did not even think of that until just now, but yes, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I, it's interesting that people think that he saved Wakanda <laughs> when I think Wakanda, the people who actually are native Wakandans mm-hmm. actually save Wakanda. And he was just some other, just to use, I mean, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember yeah. the exact line, but he was just another colonizer who, you, who, they, who, was, who came in broken, who they had a fix, and he ran a little car and say, you know, helped save Wakanda. Yeah. But they were actually out there fighting for their lives and for the state of their, their, their land. And he's actually a great example of like a great white ally that's kind of he you know he starts out as a movie is like oh no I got this deal and don't mess up my deal and I got this thing going on and over time throughout the movie like he's like he learns to shut up and mm-hmm. he learns to listen and just like okay help the way you can and I think that's pretty important the way Andy Serkis is portrayed in this movie who I love Andy Serkis's performance in this movie he is just like unhinged and a little batshit mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. like representing colonialism representing the guy you know who's stealing things uh from these native lands and also that a little bit of like 
just a touch of appropriating black culture, which I thought oh, was yeah. amazing. Like, get me, get me the SoundCloud link. We got that right. <laughs> uh, those, that like, was my favorite joke in the whole film. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny that it, yeah. It's that really and funny. what are those? Like, right. oh, come on. Right. Um, but I also, mm-hmm. I, sorry to cut you off, but I did also want to talk about um, the other point that was brought up in the tweet that you just read about basically, I was talking about talking a little bit about this with my mom over the weekend. I, I called it black on black crime because that is essentially what it is. It is a civil war that's happens in Wakanda and most of the people are for Wakanda and at a point, some of the natives turn against each other and that is essentially the civil war. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the men, and it's basically it is like the tribe of men led by Daniel Kaluuya, mm-hmm. and it, over time it's the uh, what the Dora Milje that ends mm-hmm. up help, helping to stop that, I guess. Right, and you know when it comes to Komanga, Komanga, um, who mm-hmm. I, it was, I have to say it was it was kind of hard to see him go. I mean, he had to go because he mm-hmm. was a villain, and that's what villains do in superhero movies. <laughs> and so, well, unless and you're so, Bucky, right? You get well, resurrected. Yeah, times, I mean, so. villains don't have to die. Sometimes they can escape. Sometimes they can come back to life. So I, I was actually shocked. This was such a great character. I was bummed that he died at the end of this. Well, what a death, though. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. His last line stays stays mm-hmm. with me. Like, out of everybody's line, that was the one that I actually remember the most. Because it was it summarized his character to a T. Mm-hmm. And it really brought for, full circle back to this whole a thesis of Black Panther being connected within this universe. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And Dave, to those tweets, was it a tweet or an article? It was a tweet, tweet storm. Tweet, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. That tweet is storm. garbage. Like, <laughs> let me, that is such a garbage interpretation of what this movie is. There, First of all, there are more than white people outside of Wakanda. Hello. There's there's a lot of people in the world. Like, even, even just reading it that way, I think is, is, yeah, that's like a willful misreading of what the film is giving you. Come on. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not the only place I've seen that interpretation, but I think uh, I well, think you, Candace. What do, you, yeah, what do you think, Dave? Because I th- it, this this feels sort of like uh, the bit of like uh, I don't know uh, compare like comparative journalism, right? Or showing both sides. And I think that you're not. It's not saying anything. It's definitely interpreting the film in a way that I don't think is fair to the movie, and certainly not what the movie is saying at all, unless, like, this is the idea you want to kind of, I know, the idea you want to pull out of it. I, well, I'll just mm-hmm. say, here's what I'll say about that tweet storm, which, again, I'll link to. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think it is entirely without merit, and I think that, um, I, I agree that that's certainly not the intentional, the intended reading of the film. But also, Candace, you were talking about how, like, when you saw um, Martin Freeman's character, right, uh, and how you just you just had this feeling that it was going to be interpreted in a bad way, right? Oh, totally. Right. totally. So, but but when you had that feeling, were you like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to endure this, like a bunch of hot takes about this, or did you think that those hot takes might have a, a bit of a point? What did you? Th- I mean, I, no, I there you- is. Yeah, go ahead. There is merit. There is merit. I don't think that it um, harms the movie, and I don't think it takes away from the film's inherent blackness, and I don't think it, it takes away from the black pride and the black spirit of the movie he is a prop he's a colonizing prop who who lands there because he has no place to go because he has been shot and is left for dead and he has to go to wakanda because these brilliant minds are the only people who can actually save his life right um and so uh you know it's it's shuri's car it is shuri's plan it is shuri's gadgets she's telling him what to do i don't ever feel Mm -hmm. at all like he is calling any shots 
He has no, he literally says he has no idea what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) She has to dim it down for him. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. So there's not in terms of that, that the playing field, it's very, he has, he's, he's so kind of outside of the, of any type of intellectual landscape that they are, especially Shuri is Mm -hmm. living in. Um, and that she embodies, um, but yeah, I mean, I think because I just know that a lot of people, when it comes to black movies, we're constantly talking about what, for black movies, it has it can be 98% black, but there has to be like that two percentage of, of white people or white characters that are in, in the film, as opposed to when it comes to white films, it could be a whole bunch of white people and then like no nobody of color and it'll be completely fine but black people don't have that same authority when right. it comes to black films and so i knew that that was going to be like oh this is like one of the blackest films that we have seen in a very long time <laughs> and we have two white guys here who who have very important roles but i but they are not central roles right yeah like like if it, they could have some other character that wasn't white could have easily subbed in for that character mm-hmm. uh, that Martin Freeman yeah. was played, right? Yeah. I, I, I think, it, like, looking at what the film gives you, right, it is important to see, like, clear, it's purposeful why those characters are white. And I think that's part of the message the movie is conveying. Like, and also, yeah, Andy Serkis, he's a villain, but the imagery within what he's doing, and he's like a sub villain, too. He's not even, like, the main, main villain, even though they've been building him up over, what, how many other. Marvel movies has he been in at least two I think but he we previewed him in one of the other ones and I can barely remember that at this point but it's it's very purposeful what's happening like you could look at it you could look at it like a joke too like they're uh Martin Freeman especially is like the token character that normally in like a big white you know uh blockbuster you'll have the one person of color who can be that helper and won't be instrumental but you know will help and that's yes. it uh, let's talk about the, uh, I just want to talk about the ending real quick. Uh, I, I think it was interesting, right? Like the whole movie, um, the, the, the path presented is kind of this choice between, um, isolationism and like, you know, not sharing our technology with the world, uh, and versus using the technology to kill everyone, right? That's the that's the dilemma that Wakanda <laughs> faces. And the ending of the movie posits, hey, there might be a better way, right? There yeah. might be um, a more peaceful way that benefits everyone um, without uh, compromising values, right? And uh, that idea, you, you know, depicted towards the end is, is the idea that, like, um, Wakanda will share its resources, you know, in a kind of uh, educational way, like from a STEM perspective, right? Um, mm-hmm. I really appreciated this email that Sterling from Dallas sent in to the Slash Filmcast at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Sterling from Dallas writes, um, sorry, but this is a bit of a, sorry, this is a bit of a ramble, but I just walked out of Black Panther awestruck. I don't know a movie I've seen in the last 10 years that meant more to me. I'm 29, I'm black, and I was literally in tears at the end, and I'm not the crying type. It's not just the representation, but how we are represented is what blows my mind away. This isn't just a movie, but a big-budget Marvel movie that showed us as real, complex, smart, challenged, flawed people. Growing up lower middle class, my life was a constant struggle of the black enough cliche. Watching this... I swung back and forth between, yes, T'Challa is what we need. He's a smart black Mm -hmm. man that can lead us into a better path. 
and understand Michael B. Jordan's perspective that we've been shitted on for centuries and we are stuck. If we had the tools, we should fight back and become great as a people. I know that's hard to understand, but that's real. And seeing the emotional struggle play out on the big screen shook me deeply. The ending scene broke me. For all intents and purposes, a spaceship lands in the middle of a basketball court. <laughs> and yes, some black people immediately talk about a space Bentley and selling it for parts. But then you have the other kid that is sparked by curiosity and has a black man to look to that has real power to guide him and give him a real path for his future. That just broke me down. Anyway, I know mm -hmm. you guys are probably going to do an episode. I hope you find a black guest that can speak to that perspective. <laughs> I know you don't have to be black to see the good and bad of a movie. But for people like me, hearing it would mean a great deal. Once again, sorry for the ramble. So that's from Sterling uh, from Dallas, Texas. I thought that Shuri, who's a woman, was mm -hmm. the one who was help who was who at the very end is yes. going to be the one that helps the kids, not Black Panther, but actually yeah. Shuri. Mm. So he doesn't even respond, right? We cut away because, like, <laughs> is that yours? Mm -hmm. He's like, smirk. Wait for my title card. <laughs> Let my sister do the work. Right. I, I did think that was this wonderful moment that you you do have like all these kids that are that have kind of. Uh, common kid reactions. And then mm -hmm. you have this one mm -hmm. kid who has, just has this like look of awe on his face, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty much a metaphor for the movie itself, right? The movie yeah. itself can be this beacon that uh, I think a lot of kids are going to look up to and in be inspired by. And yeah. I think, I think it's self-conscious in that way too. It's like, Oh, he, I, black Panther is now unleashed on the world in both in the text, you know, in the, in the narrative of the fantasy world and also in theaters across the nation. And uh, I love that it, the movie was self-aware enough to dramatize that as well. I also thought it was really, really powerful that one is on a basketball court, which is such a common, very stereotypical, but also mm -hmm. very popular common setting for young black boys in urban spaces. Um, and to create, to create that connection that these same boys could also be into tech and comic books and and mm -hmm. science and, and and gadgets like that. That is, it's creating, it's destroying a long um, long belief that blackness is monolithic by by showing these kids who are obviously in the inner city like basketball, but also really are geeks. And that's a lot of people who I knew growing up. And when we see that on the big screen, we always see the geeks or the jocks. Right. We never really see them, you know, intertwined in this way to have these layers. And even though it was obviously a small scene, but it was all, it, it was a it was the ending scene, and it was all it was also just a really uh, important scene. Yeah, I, I think this ties back into everything you were saying, Candice. That like in your piece, like this movie is a movement because just in terms of the representation aspect, and this is something that every time I talk about this and I write about this too, like I always get pushback from my readers or our audience or something. And it's like, it's one of those things where if, unless you've personally experienced it, first of all, if you, you know, if you're growing up white in this country um, or in other like Western countries, you may not understand what we're kind of saying, but I remember seeing like, uh, I remember seeing Hook when I was young and seeing Rufio, who's this like badass brown kid who, you know, took Peter Pan's sword and like rebuilt the world after he left. Like that always stuck with me. I just recently saw that in the theater and like that. 
I remember seeing that as a kid and what that kind of meant to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure like this movie is going to mean a lot to kids seeing it as well. Yeah. yeah. As we're wrapping up, Candice, why don't you uh, – can you summarize kind of your article at SlashFilm.com? It's entitled Black Panther is Not Merely a Moment. It's Here to Stay. Sure. So, uh, again, I'm not really, I would not call myself at all. I've never read a single comic book, so I want to put mm-hmm. that out there. And I don't ever approach a comic <laughs> book movie like a comic comic book movie or, you know, c- comparing it inside of a very finite universe. And so with that said, I really talked about this being hopefully a gateway conversation to a larger uh embrace of blackness and black talent on screen and off screen, you know, in front of the camera or in and behind the camera, but also people who write about black film. And I'm mm-hmm. not somebody who specializes in um, comic book movies or ha- is well-versed in that, but there are a lot of my colleagues, my peers who talk about this breathlessly for the past 10, 20 years. And I, I just, don't want this to be a moment where we're just talking about, um, you know, bringing in black black journalists or black um, and celebrating blackness and black talent, not just because it's it's Black Pan- Black Panther Week or not just because it's Black History Month. Because we we should just always do that. This it shouldn't be a a trend. This should this should be something that should come a lot more natural to us and it should be a lot more normalized. And so I was just saying in my piece that we need to this needs to be something that we don't have to also present in strictly the form of a superhero mm-hmm. movie in order for it to be appreciated. There are so many different genres, and I talked about Queen of Katwe or, or mentioned it earlier on in our conversation, but that's just one of many examples that we need to talk about film and, and TV that has black and brown people in a, in a way that's not just whenever it's trending or whenever... Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever is represented in a superhero movie, this needs to be something that we need to be conscious of at all times. Well, Candice, we are really grateful for you coming here on the Slash Filmcast today, um, sharing your perspective with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, and I'm glad we got to do it for such an awesome uh, movie that's going to be a, a huge part of the cultural zeitgeist, I think, for many years to come. Um, yep. So. Thanks a lot, Candice. Uh, let's wrap Thank up. You. you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Um, stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Candice, if people want to find more of your work, where can they go on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, um, Real Talker, that's R-E-E-L-T-A-L-K-E-R, and I'm on Contently, so you can find me, CandiceFrederick.Contently.com. How about you, Jeff Kanata? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I have a video game show called DLC that you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC, and a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Devendra Hardware? Or you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. Uh, check out my Afrofuturism piece on Black Panther there. And I'm also going to be doing something about this uh, the scourge of bad CG uh, human figures. Like, it's bad. It's real bad. So I'm going to do a little digging into that. <laughs> you guys uh, think this is going to be the highest grossing movie of the year? Oh, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Avengers does not have a chance at this Guys, point. come on. Solo, huh? Solo. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think Avengers uh, Infinity War has an okay shot, but I, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah. I think the level of excitement for this movie is uh, is beyond anything else I've seen for mm-hmm. anything coming guys, out this year. You guys yeah. mocked me when I said that summer started in February this year, but <laughs> it's true. It did. It's definitely yeah. true. I, I also want to give a shout out to a, a Wrinkle in Time because I think that's another movie that people have been talking about for oh, a really yeah. long time, and I think that that's also going to just break a lot of different records and also going to have that younger and older generation um, audience as well as people across. Um, races and backgrounds i think all right well maybe uh maybe we can have you on again for that uh review if you're around uh candace i'll um, be here we are all right and you can follow all my stuff uh online at davechen.net follow me on twitter at dave chensky that's dave chen sky next week we'll be reviewing the new alex garland film annihilation annihilation uh so looking forward to talking about that with you guys i think it's going to be uh at the very least very interesting so uh, that's all for this week's episode of the podcast. We'll see you guys next week.